You're listening to the On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast production of The Digital 007, a look back at James Bond in video games. Disc 4, 2010 to 2020. Hello and welcome to the Digital 007. A look back at James Bond in video games, of course, brought to you by On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast and our fine Patreon sponsors. I'm Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, a.k.a. Death Probe, and I will be taking you through this journey through the decades to look at all the various incarnations of James Bond in video games. Let me tell you how this is generally going to work. I will give you some basic information on each game, and we're more interested in hearing from people who have played the games along the way. So wherever possible, I was out there hitting those internets, finding our listeners, our friends, people who rally around the show over at Twitter at OHMSPod, and I'm catching these folks and I'm talking to them about their James Bond video game experiences. So there's going to be a lot of that thrown in here. We're really just going to be looking at the fun facts, going through the timeline, and getting those interesting experiences from our very listeners. This has been an absolute blast to put together, so let me not waste any more time and get straight to our first game. Welcome to 2010. Two thousand and ten would be another excellent year for James Bond in video games because there's not just one, but two top-tier titles released in two thousand and ten. The first one we're going to look at is Bloodstone. Bloodstone, a new Bond adventure, out Friday. Bloodstone was one of those games that had its own theme song. The title song was called I'll Take It All, and it was by Joss Stone. So let's give that a listen, and then we'll come back with some fun facts and roll into our first interview. Oh, 
Joss Stone, I'll take it all from Bloodstone. Bloodstone was made by Activision. It was available on the PS3, the Xbox 360, the PC, and it did get a Nintendo DS version. Of course, it's slightly different on the DS, but we're going to stick with the main versions that were available on PS3, Xbox 360, and PC. They were third-person shooter games, and this is often compared to everything or nothing, because much like Pierce Brosnan got his own storyline game with his own voice and a voice of Judy Dench with everything or nothing, this is Daniel Craig's version of that, because Bloodstone features Daniel Craig doing the voice of James Bond, Judy Dench doing the voice of M, and a completely original James Bond story. So it's a complete standalone adventure that you can play as the Daniel Craig 007. And with that, let's get into our first interview. Let's talk to Mike Reyes and his experience with Bloodstone. Now, my Bloodstone experience, I'm trying to remember. It was either one of two things because it's just, you know, the two basic ways a person gets their James Bond video games. Either I bought it when it came out on release in 2010 or I might have gotten it as a birthday Christmas gift because my family knows how much I enjoy the Bond series. I got it from my dad. You know, he uh, he snuck a friend and I in the golden eye in the theaters after we saw Toy Story. 
my friend and I were like, eh, we're going to go play the PlayStation in the lobby. And then as luck would have it, GoldenEye 64 comes out. And I'm like, wait, this is the movie that my dad wanted to go see? So that's, you know, you already got someone to do the GoldenEye 64 story. You're not here for that. You are here for Bloodstone. And Bloodstone is another one. I honestly have not had too large of a bone to pick with a James Bond game at all. Like 007 Legends even, there's issues, there's things, and it also has the same sort of problem that GoldenEye 007 Reloaded had, as in you're dropping Daniel Craig into these classic stories. But even then, it's like, I'm playing a James Bond video game. As long as it works and doesn't glitch out on me, I can play this thing to the end. Which is funny because, unfortunately, I haven't finished Bloodstone yet. But I do remember really liking it for the sheer reason that it felt like the first time since Quantum of Solace that there was a full cinematic James Bond experience in a video game. And to connect to something earlier, it felt like another everything or nothing. This is like the lost Daniel Craig, James Bond movie, like everything or nothing was Pierce Brosnan's lost Bond movie and the production values there. I mean, you've got this really awesome story. You've got Daniel Craig and Dame Judi Dench reprising their characters. You cast actual actors in this. You have Josh Stone doing a really cool title track with I'll Take It, I believe it's called I'll Take It All. Yeah, like you you have the title sequence, the song, the pre-credit play, and the mechanics are just pure Bond. I mean, James Bond games at their best are fully embodying the experience because this is a character that people have had in their lives for now up to almost six decades. And if there's any way that you can transport someone into that world more effectively than than watching a film then it's going to be exciting i haven't had too big of an issue with any james bond game because it's getting more familiar with this character it's getting to pretend you know you're taking cover and driving an aston martin with really cool devices or you're taking pictures of an enemy yacht and another thing about bloodstone is it from what i remember of it it had this very timely story it didn't feel like a specter caper. It was something very much more grounded and it still felt in the earlier era of Craig films to the point where you look at the cover art, I think that's a shot from Quantum of Solace because that's what it looks like. It looks like the jacket that he has on towards the end and that might even be him pointing his gun at Dominic Green telling him to drink motor oil. That is what I think of when I see the packaging and when I think of the game is just, it was hard bond versus... Everything or Nothing was a little more fantastical and nothing wrong with that because that was the era of Bond we were in. And even though they grounded it to a certain extent, you have like a little Q spider and, you know, all the cool laser gadgets. Bloodstone is this thing where it's very much just running through graveyards, hiding behind stones and taking shots when you can and just following the mission. It's still refreshing to see James Bond told in that context. And it feels like we're sort of moving more towards a little bit more of the fantastical. We are getting more Spectre-focused. Again, not necessarily a bad thing, but this was definitely one of those symptoms of the huge course correct that we had with the Craig era. And that's part of what I'm what I'm going to miss about Daniel Craig not being in there anymore. It's what I miss about not having any more Bond games. I mean, we haven't had a Bond game since 007 Legends. And yeah, Project 007 is coming from IO Interactive, which... I'm excited because you've got the guys doing Hitman, doing a Bond game. And I feel that'll land closer to Bloodstone 
than Legends because it's going to be more grounded. We're going to have a new protagonist. If they really want to get crazy with it, they could do a period piece where it's you in the 60s being Bond or even present day. But Bloodstone, I think, is one of the better modern James Bond games for the sheer fact that it does treat things seriously. And plus, it was made by Activision during the height of their Call of Duty days. I wouldn't be surprised if they may have just ported that engine over. Part of me still wishes Activision had the license because then they could do like a Bond Battle Royale or maybe even just reskin something in Warzone right now because they've done it with other characters, but they don't have the rights anymore. That's something that also is concerning because we lose so much of video game history that if I didn't have this on my shelf right now, I don't know how easy it would be to get it. You have a whole level of 007 Legends that's missing technically because you have to buy the Wii U version to have the Skyfall bonus level. Thankfully, Bloodstone has none of those problems. It's just the thing that does most upset me. You land that cliffhanger at the very end where like Bond is confronting, you know, the, the, the realities of the ending. And then that car blows up on the bridge and it's supposed to be another part. And the developers had that other part planned out, but they went bankrupt. They went bankrupt because of this and because of another game that they had, which I also love called Blur. Fantastic racing game. It was Bizarre Creations and Raven Software. And Bizarre Creations closed down. They had like a prototype build of Blur 2. They had their plans for Bloodstone. And it's like, okay, can we at least give that over to like a writer or something and get that follow-up? And one last thing that I just thought about, and I'll, I'll sort of end it on that. You had Bruce Farstein writing this game. The man wrote Tomorrow Never Dies, co-wrote Tomorrow Never Dies, and World Is Not Enough. And also, surprise, surprise, worked on Everything or Nothing and From Russia With Love. And the, Gold, and the GoldenEye remake. He worked in the world of games, coming from the world of movies. That is one of the coolest things that sort of started to happen at this point in video game history. You started to see orchestral soundtracks. You saw composers like Michael Giacchino making his dent in the world by doing game soundtracks. And then you had like these full instrumental things that it just started amping up the theatricality of games. Bloodstone 007 is that crossroad of games and movies that just... Whenever you land it that way, I'm, I'm there for it. And that will bring us to the next game of 2010. Again, 2010 finds us in that no man's land between films. Quantum of Solace had come out already, and it would still be a couple of years before we got Skyfall. So certainly you could play bloodstone for that new bond adventure while you were waiting but guess what 2010 gives you another offering 2010 would mark the relaunch of a classic game they'd give another shot to goldeneye bond everyone has something special on their wish list this year perhaps it's a new toy fantastic getaway quality time with friends Maybe a little tooth polish. Golden IW7 Reloaded. Rated T for teen. PlayStation. 
GoldenEye also had a remix and redo of its theme song. Nicole Scherzinger does her version of GoldenEye. It's a tough act to follow on Tina Turner, but I think Nicole does a decent job of it. Let's listen to her version from the GoldenEye 2010 video game. See reflections on the water More than darkness in the depths See him surface and never a shadow GoldenEye 2010 was available on the Wii, the PS3, the Xbox 360, and it also got a Nintendo DS release, and as usual, we're going to focus on the main console versions. This was a first-person shooter, much like the original GoldenEye from 1997. GoldenEye was originally released on the Wii, and then it was retitled to GoldenEye Reloaded when it was released later on on the PS3 and 360. Bruce Firestein returns once again to write a quasi-original story. It is based on Goldeneye, but it has some new story elements as well. And just to get your head spinning, the voice work is once again Daniel Craig and Judy Dench-centric. So you're basically playing a Daniel Craig Bond playing through the Goldeneye storyline as reimagined by Bruce Firestein. And here to talk a little bit more about it is Becca from the Do You Expect Us to Talk podcast. One of my fondest memories of gaming on the Wii would come with um, GoldenEye. Again, not very good. I'm certainly not very good at video games, but I just have a good time. I, I enjoy the experience. Whether or not I get high score is irrelevant, but I just have a good time. I'm a big sucker for like really gorgeous graphics as well, so I really enjoy quite nice graphics. But yeah, I had good fun mainly with the Golden Knight, um, obviously working through the missions, using stealth, using all the gadgets. I think it was incredible. And having that chance to kind of play as Bond, you know, I'm sure we all enjoyed that. But for me, uh, my high point would be the multiplayer mode. You just join like a melee battle or like capture the flag or, you know, various kind of stealth games that you could play via multiplayer. I mean, I generally always died, but I had a good fun doing it. And you can use different accessories as well, sort of like a light gun or the nunchucks, for example, you play in different ways. 
yeah, the best thing to, you know, the, the GoldenEye game, obviously from N64 that we had for, for that current generation. I really enjoyed that. I don't think I bought a new because I was part-time working at the time. So it was secondhand. So there might have been a few bugs, a few glitches. But I still had a really good time with it. And for me, in terms of my experience of, of Bond gaming, that's one that kind of sticks with me the most. I'd love to see a port on the Switch. I don't think it's going to happen with the way that Eon are going at the moment. I would love to. So Barbara, Michael, if you're listening, please get on it. Bond fans around the world, implore you, crack on, please. We'd love to see a port of it. Or even if they were to release a you know N64 Mini, as we have seen with you know this you know SNES, NES, and other Sega consoles as well. So that would be amazing. But for, yeah, say for me, that's probably my happiest on gaming memory. And yeah, I would love to play that again. And we always appreciate Becca from the Do You Expect Us to Talk podcast for stopping by. And that is going to be the end of 2010. Up next, 2011. Two thousand eleven would only produce one James Bond game, and it's one of the more obscure games. It's called 007 License to Drive. It was developed by Glue Mobile and it was a Java-based game available for mobile devices. It was a top-down vehicle adventure, very similar to the classic Spy Hunter. Type of games are some of the games that they released when Domark had the James Bond license. Fun little top-down scrolling game, but so obscure that no matter how far and wide I searched the internets, I couldn't find anybody who played it. Even Louise from Ibagay, Colombia didn't have this one in his repertoire, but I guarantee you we're going to hear from him on this episode because he's a fan favorite. But yes, 007 License to Drive ended up being fairly obscure because... It was a Java-based game for mobile phones, and by 2011, the market for phone games was very, very much being driven by the Apple iOS games and the Android-based games. So 007 License to Drive really got lost in the shuffle, and very, very few people ever played it. But again, very similar to the classic Spy Hunter game where you would drive a car in a scrolling top-down view which would also become a speedboat or a jet ski or a helicopter, depending on what your missions were. Pretty cool looking game, but unfortunately, into obscurity. And that's it for 2011. Next up is 2012. Two thousand and twelve, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be a very interesting year for James Bond video games because two thousand and twelve marks the fiftieth anniversary of the debut of Doctor No, fiftieth anniversary of the film franchise. Two thousand and twelve would also see the release of the much anticipated and highly acclaimed Skyfall film, and not to rest on their laurels, Eon Productions and the James Bond folks. Definitely, we're ready to capitalize on the 50th anniversary as they release 007 Legends. 007 Legends is a very ambitious game, and it's 
controversial in gaming circles. Some Bond fans really enjoy it, some Bond fans not so much. Most of the controversy stems from the fact that you play through various levels of the game, which include moments from Goldfinger on Her Majesty's Secret Service, License to Kill, Die Another Day, and Moonraker. And each time you play through those levels, you're playing through as James Bond, but the Daniel Craig James Bond playing through those scenarios. And a lot of gamers just couldn't wrap their heads around Daniel Craig and all those scenarios. Personally, I rather enjoyed it and thought it was creative. The way the game starts off, you are Daniel Craig on the top of that train at the beginning of Skyfall. Money Penny takes the shot, and as he's falling to his quote-unquote death, his life is flashing before his eyes, and that's why you play through all those various scenarios. So, yes, the James Bond universe is continuity weird, but I thought it was cool and creative, but hey, there's other people that didn't like it as much. Before we get started on the interviews, though, Let's give a listen to the trailer for this game. for the last time, Mr. Bond. Now that we've heard the trailer audio for 007 Legends, Let's take a minute to listen to the theme music. Now, this one doesn't have an actual theme song, but they did go out of their way to get David Arnold involved in the soundtrack. So this is the main theme as put together by David Arnold.
Oh, that's good stuff. David Arnold music is always, always welcome here on the show. Well, at this point, we need to get into the nuts and bolts of this game. So let me give you some of the information on 007 Legends. This would be the last game put out by Activision. Their time with the James Bond license has come to an end. 007 Legends would be available on PS3, Xbox 360, the PC, and the Wii U. It is a first-person shooter, and once again, Bruce Firestein returns to pen the script. As mentioned earlier, this is the 50th anniversary of the film James Bond, and so they wanted to bring in all those different aspects, the different films, into the game. Interestingly enough, their formula has one film per actor, featuring Goldfinger for Connery, Honor Majesty's Secret Service for Lazenby, Moonraker for Moore, License to Kill for Dalton, and Die Another Day for Brosnan. But again, all of them are done through the Daniel Craig 007. It's his voice. It is his likeness. Other voices contributing to this game, more big name talent. We have Judy Dench coming back as M. Toby Stevens reprising his role from Die Another Day. Naomi Harris as Ms. Moneypenny. And Michael Lonsdale returns to do the voice of Drax. And speaking of which... I found an interview with Michael Lonsdale about his experience with 007 Legends. He speaks in French throughout the interview, but I had the translation read by our network's very own Delvin the Dark Web Williams. Let's give a listen to that interview. It's you, but without being you, a you, but different. It's almost like having a double. It's amusing. It's amusing. It's a much more realistic approach to things. The destruction is based in truth. There is a sleeping child hidden in every adult. I remember my father buying an electric train, and he would tell me to watch whilst he played. I wasn't very happy. It's amazing for adults to rediscover their childhood, one of the wonders of life. Films are like dreams. Reality isn't as fascinating. What is fascinating is everything the film brings to people. In that chase sequence where Bond kills who knows how many people, it's good. It helps people release stress. Afterwards, they're calm. We all have childhood heroes that we know, deep down inside, are indestructible. Bond is an iconic hero. Whatever he does, he'll always win. So there you have it. Michael Lonsdale Drax himself talking about his experience on 007 Legends. One final add-on, if you want the best version of the game, as I mentioned, it's available on PS3, Xbox 360, the PC, and the Wii U, I would seek out the Wii U version. It has the Skyfall level on it that was not available on the others except by downloadable content. And since that content is no longer available online, the only way to get the additional Skyfall level is to get the Wii U version. 
So, whether or not you like the concept of Daniel Craig playing through the James Bond history, if you will, replacing the older actors, well, that's up to you. But I tell you, someone who had a real unique experience with this game is a gentleman I'm so glad he came forward to be interviewed for this documentary podcast. Carrie Edwards has an interesting tale to tell, and he's a little more involved, a little more deeply involved with 007 Legends than your average gamer. Let's give him a listen and find out why. So my story with 007 Legends starts in 2012, cruising the internet movie sites, just looking for news of the next Bond film and stuff, and then suddenly there's this 007 Legends game. There's a new James Bond video game, which is cool. It was quite a good time for James Bond video games. We've had some good ones. It was the same developer, I think, Eurocom, who had just done the GoldenEye reboot. So this was looking good, and I found myself on the official website. I was looking around, and there were screenshots of Moonraker. And that this video game, it's a, it's a kind of a weird video game, 007 Legends, because it's a Daniel Craig James Bond game. But it tries to fit the original continuity into Daniel Craig's Bond, which I'll talk about more later because it kind of doesn't work, even though sometimes it's kind of interesting. But the Moonraker shots look really, really good. They had the face of Michael Lonsdale, and he actually does the voice in the game. They've got Richard Keel, Mutes, of course, playing Jaws, but his face is there. And they even had Lois Childs, although she doesn't turn up in the game, but it looked fab. And I'm clicking around this website, getting really excited. And there's a competition. And the competition is basically upload a photograph with a idea for a Bond villain. And if you win, you get digitized into the game. So I'm looking at this thinking, well, why not? And I, I'm very fortunate that I have a, a wife who is a terrific photographer. And she'd done a picture of me probably a couple of years before that looked like the poster to Straw Dogs, the Sam Peckinpah film from 1971 with Dustin Hoffman with the cracked glasses. And so I had that ready and I thought, okay, that looks kind of cool. So I wrote a quick biography for a villain. I stole the surname off a notice board in university 20 odd years ago. I saw this name, the surname Killfeather. And you know, Ian Fleming like used to steal names from everywhere, didn't he? He would just steal anybody's name. And so I I saw this in probably 1997, and it was in the back of my head, and I said, okay, there's my villain's name. And I can't remember what I wrote. I don't have it anymore. But I just put it in late at night, thinking this will do nothing. And then, I don't know, a month later, I got an email saying, you won. So two guys won. I won in the UK, and another guy won in America, and we were digitized into different levels. The American winner got on a Majesty's Secret Service. I got into Moonraker. So some emails came back and forth. My wife took me into a photo studio, put black dots all over my face so they could track it, took some profile shots, head-on shots, whatever, sent it off. And then that's it until a couple of months later. And we're getting close to the October 2012 release of the game. And I get some photo shots from the game, which are both brilliant and weird because that whole uncanny valley thing is like clearly me, but clearly not right at the same time. But I'm there in the Moonraker level not in space, sadly. I'm on, I'm on the sort of the rear, the sort of South America part. I have the full Moonraker yellow jumpsuit and that crazy yellow headset with the big ear things. I've got one of those. So I saw the shots and thought it was really cool. And October, November time, I got a free copy of the game as well from them on the PS3. That was my choice because that's what I had at the time. And then I loaded it up. And obviously I was massively excited. And, and the game, because I appear in it, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of affection for 
even though in the back of my mind, I know it's not that good. It's not terrible, but it's not that great. Now, I'll talk about that. But I'm there in the final level, the Moonrake level, which I think is the best level in the game. But I'm also in the multiplayer. And this is why the game really strikes me, because I am a Drax henchman in the multiplayer level. And you can have a split screen and you can have four people all playing as me, all shooting me, which I just did. I sat around with friends drinking beer doing that or, you know, Daniel Craig shooting me or me shooting Daniel Craig, which is like the most weird thing ever, but really cool and sort of walking up close to my own face digitally. And the multiplayer is quite good fun. And some of the maps are good fun. The rest of the game itself is kind of, it's a weird hybrid. And I sort of mentioned before, it's a Daniel Craig continuity. So it starts with a bit of Skyfall. It doesn't start with a bang, actually. It starts with a train scene from Skyfall. Money Penny shoots Bond. He falls down. And the game is kind of set as he's drowning or in the water. And it pretends like the other films featured in the game, Goldfinger, Moonraker, On a Majesty's Secret Service, Die Another Day, and License to Kill, are kind of like memories of Daniel Craig's James Bond. And you kind of skip through them. So Goldfinger, you start off in a hotel room and you find... Shirley Eaton covered in gold. And then you go to Goldfinger's place in Switzerland, but it doesn't look right. But he looks right. And Pussy Galore looks right, but the voices are wrong. And it has this sort of weird dissonance all the way through playing it. But there's some real thrills in it. With the music, particularly, they get some of the Goldfinger music spot on. You get when you're in Switzerland for Honor Majesty's Secret Service, you're skiing after Tracy, and who looks just like Diana Rigg and you get bars of John Barry's theme, and that is just really, really cool and sort of lifts you. It's great to hear Michael Lonsdale do Drax again, his same performance, and he looks great. I'm a huge, huge fan and have written about License to Kill, so that's cool to be able to attack Fran Sanchez and Benicio Del Toro and have Carrie Lowell in it, who is in it and did her own voice, and that looks great. But the links between the missions are a bit weird and a bit sudden. It's weird because the game was written by Bruce Feirstein, who had co-written Tomorrow Never Dies and The World Is Not Enough. And I think he'd probably done some of the other video games. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he'd done some of the video games. But it doesn't quite stitch together logically. It sort of just leaps. So you're like, okay, I've done a bit of Goldfinger and I'm going to leap out of Goldfinger. I've just done the Fort Knox scene, which is very cool, actually. Killed our job. Great. On the plane. Okay. Killed that. And then, okay, we're now I'm in the snow in Switzerland with Tracy. And then, okay, we rescue Tracy and we get Blofeld, who's a weird hybrid Blofeld, who's got bits of Terry Savalas and Donald Pleasance and Charles Gray all mixed in together. And then you skip again. Then you're in License to Kill and then Die Another Day and then leave Moonraker last. And I think Moonraker is the most successful level, particularly the zero gravity stuff is kind of fun and the lasers are cool and it has a real sense of the game. So it's a sort of mixed bag. It works as a first-person shooter most of the time. There's some sort of driving on rail sections that are okay. And each section in itself works quite well, but I'm not sure that when together they make much sense. And the problem I have when I played it, and I was watching some gameplay videos the other day to prepare for this, and I, I looked at it and just thought, the problem is, is when I play the Moonraker one, I want a Moonraker game with Roger Moore. And when I play the license, I want a license to kill game with Timothy Dalton. I don't like this highlight hopping thing. There was a downloadable content that came out after Christmas that year, which was some more Skyfall stuff, but it's not a full Skyfall game. It's just the opening sequence in Turkey, and then there's a bit in Hong Kong as well. So that was bizarre and fun. But again, nothing felt sort of fully fleshed out and coherent. 
So whereas I think the James Bond games that work, like everything or nothing, you get a full plot. It's really a developed, fleshed out plot that's engaging. This kind of works as a Bond fan because it's like, oh, I recognize that. Or that's quite a good version of this. Or that's cool, but that's different. And some of the changes are weird because they have to change the missions to kind of fit Daniel Craig. And they've developed the locations to make them look modern as well. Whereas the From Russia With Love game works, I think, because it's, it's set in the 1960s and it's Sean Connery and it's kind of, you know, that, okay, that links to the movie. Whereas this kind of takes bits of the movies you love, reimagines them somewhat, and then tries to stitch them together. And I'm going to love it because I, I had a great experience with it and, and I am perpetually forever digitally placed in it, which is really, really bizarre and exciting. But I'm not kind of blind to some of the weaknesses of the game in that it works as a shooter. The stealth mechanics are a bit interesting. I'm not great at stealth in games anyway, so I just end up shooting everybody, and I kind of enjoy that, so that's fun. So it's a sort of game that has a lot of affection for me, but I do know that it was kind of a shame that that's the last proper console game we've got for James Bond in nine years, which is crazy because we had such a good time. I think from GoldenEye, in the mid-90s to 007 Legends, we were getting one every couple of years, and mostly the quality was good. And the guys who made this, the other games they made, I think they did the GoldenEye reboot, and they did uh, Nightfire, which is great fun. And then this one is a bit sad. I did read somewhere that it was a very compressed timescale to get the game made, and that they wanted it to coincide with Skyfall. So I like it. I enjoy it for very personal reasons. It has some great moments and some really fun moments. If you look at the packaging, I actually think the packaging kind of encapsulates what's odd about this, is that you have a digitized Daniel Craig, and not a really great digitized Daniel Craig on the cover. And then you have a picture from Goldfinger and a picture from Die Another Day and a picture of Jaws skydiving Moonraker, something that's not in the game, sadly. And it kind of, you just, these things do not go together. They're not bright. And as much as I enjoy the game, I can kind of get why it's not one of the more loved 007 games, because it's a little bit odd but there are moments when you you know you're in fort knox and you're battling odd job or you're coming up to pete's gloria in the helicopter and the music's happening and you're going to rescue tracy and there's an absolute thrill in recreating those bits of the movie so i think there's a, a better game in there than perhaps we got but the highlights of it are really cool Well, there you have it. Commentary from someone who's actually in the game. Thank you, Carrie, for sharing that with us. And shockingly enough, folks, in 2012, which at the time of this recording was nine years ago, this would be the last major release James Bond video game title to come out. As of now, which is September of 2021, we still await a major James Bond title release in the video game world. There are still a few left to talk about as we begin to wrap up this documentary. And in order to do that, we need to fast forward to 2014. Twenty fourteen would give us another one of the Young Bond web-based PC games. 
It was made by Youngverse Digital Limited, and it was a point-and-click style game like we've talked about before of the web-based versions for the Young Bond series. This one had more racing involved in it, and of course, it was a Young Bond novel tie-in. 2014 would be the last time, as of this recording in 2021, that there would be an online web-based Young Bond game. And while I scoured the internet once again to find someone who'd played it, I came up with nothing. It's another one of those very obscure games that was here just for a little while, and then it was gone. But I tell you what, our old friend Luis from Eva Gay Colombia stopped by, and we had a bit of a chat about how it's kind of sad that we lose James Bond games and media, much like this young Bond game. Sure, there are certain archive sites out there that archive the site, but without the software to go behind it, the game doesn't work properly. So it's like this lost media. So let's take a moment to talk with Louise and get his thoughts on James Bond's lost media. Yes, that's the problem with these flash games because they need some kind of uh, external resource. Yes, the code must be bound to a server that is no longer working. It's, uh, I think they shut down those servers. So you cannot pass from the email form or a certain part of the game. And that's a shame because it's actually lost media. I actually have been watching some lost media videos on YouTube recently. There's plenty of Bond lost media. In the first decades of this <laughs> century, we have lost so much media. I remember a Casino Royale game, a strategy game that was launched in the website, in the James Bond, in the W7.com website. And it was quite cool. And it has this instrumental version of You Know My Name that has never been released. Obviously, when the website was updated for Quantum of Solace, it disappeared. And I don't know if anyone could archive this game. And I think it's not possible because it was kind of a multiplayer game, a strategy game. You have to move like uh, Advanced Wars or uh, Fire Emblem in this kind of uh, turn-based strategy way of playing. I don't remember if you managed to play with Bond, but they imagine these MI6 agents you can control and move. And it was quite cool. I played it like a couple of times because at the time I was studying at the university, I think, my last year at the University of College. Obviously, I didn't have much time to play because I was using the internet for my thesis and my all, all my stuff at the university. But I remember that quite fondly and well it's it's sad <laughs> that isn't it hasn't been archived like the John Bond games. They are lost and maybe only the, the developers have copies of those games. I am not even sure if Ian archives those games because it happens like what happened with Doctor Who in the early years, you know. They didn't value this as something that people would like to experience and appreciate in the future. So, okay, let's erase this and nah, nobody will care about this. Guess what? We care. <laughs> <laughs> there is always someone in another place of the world who mm -hmm. says, I would like to play that game again. <laughs>
definitely some good points about Lost James Bond games, Lost James Bond media there from Luis. And we're not going to let Luis go too far away because he's going to be back in just a moment. But we need to move forward from 2014 to 2015. Twenty fifteen would of course give us the launch of Spectre, and the good people at the James Bond franchise wanted to have a game to go along with that. So they launched on the mobile devices James Bond World of Espionage. World of Espionage was made by Glue Mobile. It was a card-based, sort of a trading card-based role-playing game. And again, it was designed to be released at the same time as Spectre's coming out in 2015. Sort of a promotional thing. Now, the only challenge there is, maybe was it possibly rushed? I ask that question because World of Espionage doesn't have the greatest reputation in the James Bond video game franchise. Quite the opposite. Which was evidenced by the fact that the servers for World of Espionage only stayed active for about 18 months. The game came out and people played it and it just really didn't catch on. And within a year and a half, the servers had been shut down and the game was done. But don't take my word for it. Let's check in one more time with Luis from Ibagay to see what his World of Espionage experience was like. of espionage okay i got news of this game thanks to a fan website they say okay there is a new game coming for mobile phones and it's going to be developed by glue and i say okay that's interesting because i've seen that they made some interesting games in the past and i know there is a mission impossible hybrid in between first and third person so it's going to be good. What can go wrong with the James Bond license in a video game? Hmm? Especially when we had this time without a, a game after W7 Legends. So it was interesting to see that they were trying to get the Bond experience into a mobile environment. Well, we had the previous experiences with uh, the Java games for the old phones and this top agent game that we saw before for uh, iOS and Android. So it was interesting. It was good. Obviously, I downloaded on the first day. I hadn't time to check more about the game before I downloaded it. Say it's Bond. Okay, it's going to be good. It wasn't. Uh, <laughs> it was appalling. It's not an action game. It's a card game. And I have no problem with card games. I played Top Agent before. It was enticing up to some point because it was kind of repetitive. I played the Top Trumps game, basically this set of trading cards, Trump cards. I say, okay, let's see what happens. But I wasn't very, very excited. So what we got with World of Espionage is barely any story. You're James Bond. You're working for MI6. And they have this kind of 
world map. They have this world map and you have to select different stories. So you begin with Dr. No. I say, well, okay. They're trying to recreate the timeline of the Bond franchise. It's continued to <laughs> errors and whatever. But hey, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. So you're selected in the world map, a location, an exotic location. So you go to Jamaica and it's Dr. No. Everything is described. So you're driving towards the governor's house and you have to select some cards, some kind of trading cards. So you're James Bond, you're working at MI6 and you're assigned to a mission and you get some people to help you in the mission. And then I get excited and say, okay, we are going to see Quarrel, we are going to see Felix Leiter, we are going to see all these colorful characters, Postfella, the guy who manages the bar and so on. And you don't. You get just generic agents. The guy with the scar on the face, young, pretty-looking woman, totally generic names. They try to recreate the, the, <laughs> these bonds uh, with the names, but in the end, you don't get invested in the game because you don't see the characters that you remember. They are just generic characters in the form of cards with different stats, with different powers, with different um, features and characteristics. So you're driving to the governor's house, but the driver is working for uh, the bad guys. So they ask you to take out a car and do something. There were cards for the actions too, like punching, hitting, shooting, whatever. So it's a turn-based card game, but executively in a very, very bad way. I didn't like it. I actually, I, did, I didn't play it for more like three days. And obviously I was given more opportunities for the game to improve. I say, okay, maybe this is just for the launch. They are going to increase the quality of the game. I imagine that it was like a beta test or something. I don't remember if it was a test, but I didn't like it. And the game didn't improve with the days. I revisited like... One month later, and basically I revisited because it w I was cleaning some space on my phone and I, th I think I, I need to install some certain apps. And I saw the app there and I have been using it so for a while, so I opened it again. And now the game continues the same. I actually uh, remember that they changed was the start screen. They added these dots, like the mimic the gun barrel, but it was just the loading dots. <laughs> they were the loading dots. And it was totally disappointing. The last time I used it was right before they decided to shut down the servers and discontinue the game. They had increased the locations. I remember seeing something for Die Another Day and seeing something for Diamonds Are Forever and some other original locations, but I didn't visit them because you need to advance in the game to reach those places. So it wasn't worth the time. And I think that... It was a, a failure because it didn't last too long in the market. I am not sure if it lasted for six months or one year, or maybe I'm exaggerating a bit, but it didn't last too long and not many people experienced it, fortunately. So it was very, very sad and disappointing. Bond on a mobile phone. We have seen Game Loft doing interesting games with limited resources in terms of memory, in terms of devices. Glue made this Mission Impossible Rogue Nation game before, third-person, first-person kind of shooter. And we got a, a card game for James Bond. I don't know if, what, if it was based, I am speculating here, but 
probably it was based on the directives that Ian gave to the developers. Probably say no, no violence, no guns, no blood, no violence for the sake of violence is not allowed or something like that. <laughs> And there you have the world of espionage from 2015. At the time of this recording, that was six years ago, and this was the last time we'd get any kind of official James Bond game. 2012 007 Legends was the last time we got a proper console game. And here in 2015, with World of Espionage, is the last time we get a truly dedicated Bond game. We have two more games to talk about, both of which aren't truly Bond games, just downloadable James Bond content for other games. So let's fast forward the clock from 2015, three more years, to 2018. <laughs> 2018 would give us some downloadable content called Best of Bond, and it was for the already established racing franchise Forza Horizon. Specifically, this download pack was for Forza Horizon 4. And to give you a little bit more about that, let's hear from our friend Martin from the great James Bond podcast, The Double O Files. Well, it's a bit of a background story about Forza itself. I've been playing the Forza franchise since about 2008-ish. It was then just called Forza Motorsport. The clues in the title, it was just circuit racing, uh, some drag racing and all that stuff. And they were implementing more things. In 2008, you no know, technology came on and more and more, and 3D cockpits and, and dynamic whatever. And after that, they decided to make the jump to the Horizon series, which is all open world, free mode, do what you want, and they would have... The first one was set in like a sort of fictionalized Colorado. And then they did another one that was fictionalized Southern Europe, a bit of France, a bit of Italy. They did another one in Australia. And then the fourth one was in uh, Northern England and Scotland. So, you know, I've always been playing these games. I've been following them. I've been trying to get the latest news and the tidbits and, and stuff. And I've also always been making Bond cars because the thing that Forza was sort of famous for is the whole livery editor. Basically, you could put any kind of shape or sticker on any body panel of the car. So I would always have like eight friends driving around in, in red Alfa Romeos, and mine would be dark gray with a West German license plate. They're like, why is it? Oh, it's a Bond thing, isn't it? I'm like, yeah, it is. So I've had many, many 007 tributes throughout the years, and I've been following the games. You know, each iteration would be more cars added, more features added, more, more like it goes with everything. Media, there are leaks, there are speculations, and there are gossips. And I remember, because this takes place in 2018, Horizon 4, and there was somewhere in August, there was an article or someone on the Forza Reddit page uh, who posted this whole link of like this whole document full of cars because they accidentally, while testing the game, they accidentally put like a developer kit online for a couple of hours. So people actually got lots of stuff out of there. So I was browsing through this list uh, of cars and there would be like tons of Audis, BMWs, Mercedes, stuff we only knew. It was all coded. But then some lines of code caught my interest because there would be like amc underscore hornet 74 i'm like hey i know that one and then you browse a bit for and then i saw ast underscore db10 bond and that's why i was wait a minute and then we had ast db5 bond ast v8 advantage bond bmw z8 bond i'm like this is going somewhere 
Because at this point, we already knew that uh, apart from races, there would also be this feature called jobs, like things on the side you could do to make money. And which they said, for example, be a stunt driver in a movie. So I was like, ah, oh, so this is going to be some kind of thing, you know, that you're going to like win a prize car and then you'll have a Bond car or Bond stickers or whatever, something like that. And then, because I was writing for a Dutch Bond website at the time, and I did a little bit of article about this. I said, you know, it's all speculation, but there might be some Bond stuff coming along. And there's some people now a bit excited because it's new and different and it took place in the UK. So it was all a bit logical. It's actually like developed by the European version of the Microsoft Studios, which was actually based in the UK. So it's a bit of a close to home kind of thing. And then I remember the official word coming out. I still remember the day itself. It was a Tuesday. It was September 18th. And I remember because I was at work, a bit of a slow day. It was about 5 p.m. And then I got an email, you know, the, the YouTube email saying X account upload a new video. I was like, all right, cool. I'll watch it when I get home. And about two minutes afterwards, my phone just went pling and then pling and then it pling. It just blew up more and more and more. And everyone was uh, texting me and, and messaging me, calling me. And the first time that happened was when Sir Roger Moore died in 2017. So my first thought was, oh, God, Sir John, Dame Judy, Michael G, uh, anything. But I checked and everyone sending me the same YouTube link. I'm like, yeah, I got the email. I'll check it when I get home. So I went home and I had dinner, just got home as you always do. And I watched the video, and it was like this two and a half video with David Arnold's Bond theme saying the best of Bond Carpex. So I just was jolting, jumping around the room for, for the rest of the night. And they said it was going to be a whole pack, so not just cars, there were going to be some other stuff around it, and it will all be explained in the coming days and weeks. So, about that, summarizing the pack itself, there were 10 cars in it, 10 Bond cars from all six actors, which is already a good thing because when people do a best of, you know, Timothy and George usually get the short end of the stick. With these kind of things, but they both had their Astons from the films. You had Sir John's Goldfinger DB5, obviously. There was Roger's Lotus is Free, the white one from The Spy You Love Me. There's the 2CV from Free Hours Only. Then Pierce got his BMW Z8, which was a bit of an odd choice seeing his Aston Martin tenure with the, all the gadgets. And Daniel had, well, he had three actually. He was the, the DBS from Quantum and Casino. There was the DB10 from Spectre and also the Jaguar from Spectre, which is also featured quite heavily in the trailer. There were also some catchphrases because you had like these shortcut buttons in the game. You could press a button, you could talk to other people in the game without having your headset on. I know you could just say hello or a nice ride or that kind of stuff. And they had six catchphrases, which were Bond, James Bond, Shaken, Not Stirred, Do You Expect Me to Talk, I Am Invincible, License to Skill, and For England, James. Last thing they had is they had outfits for a game character. There was the classic black dinner jacket and a white dinner jacket with the red carnation like in Goldfinger. All of this just sort of wrapped around the whole Bond experience to try and be a bit playful with it. That is also, for me, getting to one of the points that I really don't really like about the pack is that it's mostly sort of cosmetic in the way that, you know, you could put on the suit and you had the cars and uh, all the gadgets worked. But they worked in this sort of a pause menu. It's this feature in the game they call Forza Vista. You can walk around the cars in 3D. You can open the doors to boot. You can start them, honk the horn, uh, all that kind of stuff. And sure enough, you know, you could get in a DB5. You could open up the center console. There were all the buttons. And you could, uh, you know, press a button and the rear bulletproof shield would move up. And you can open up the rear lights for, you know, the, the oil slick, uh, the overriders, the everything. But it was all cosmetic just in that one sort of separate menu where you could do that. You couldn't do that on the road. You, know, you couldn't have a race with someone and you could just use the tire covers to get them off the road or something like that. So that's a bit, a bit of a shame, but it's sort of logical. I mean, that's just something you just can't implement into a game to have people's tires explode at 100 miles an hour. It's just not doable. 
And there's also the thing that I don't really like about it is the way that it's been implemented because the Forza games have always been a three years and over game. So they've always been very child friendly. And as a result, uh, a lot of the violence has been taken out. So you could have like your BMW Z8, you can hit the button and the rocket system would flip out, but there wouldn't be an actual rocket on it because, you know, that I guess uh, sort of uh, represents violence. Same thing with Timothy's V8, you know, you could hit the switch, the fog lights would flop down, there would just be two empty tubes because, you know, they couldn't do the, the rockets. And with the same with uh, Sejan's, the Goldfinger Ascent, the machine guns didn't work or they didn't pop out because it all had to be sort of child-friendly. And that did give me a bit of a feeling of if you're not allowed to do it fully, uh, especially with the, the bomb thing and the gadgets are all mostly offensive, I was like, you know, if you can't do it fully or if you can't show off the lethal thing of the gadget, which it most of the time is, like, why do it in the first place? There's something lacking. I, it, it, the whole idea is good. I mean, Timothy's V8 still had the rocket booster behind the rear license plate and still had the, the skis and all that stuff. So that was very cool. But, you know, the sort of the, the party pieces were not complete. And that's a bit of a, a letdown if they... Especially if they are featured in a franchise that always prides itself on, on going into very thorough detail with everything they do. And the other thing within that is that it felt to me the first time, like after the initial rush of, oh my God, it's a James Bond DLC or sort of wore off, there was a bit of a feeling of a haphazardness with it. And what I mean is that some cars have been made specifically for this. They were completely new for the entire game, for the entire franchise. But some cars were quite obviously reused 3D models that they had before and then just tied it up to look like the Bond one, like the BMW Z8 and the Aston Martin DBS from Daniel Craig were the American actual production version. So it had like different lights, different placement, different interiors, minor stuff. But if you look at stuff like the Aston Martin V8 from Timothy Dalton's Bond film, that was actually a whole different generation, like a different front end, different bonnet, different rear bumper, different interior. So it was literally like someone went back to the office in the weekend and just implemented some fun stuff just to see if it works so it just felt a bit rushed in a way because you know if you're going to do this all say it's the car from the movie make sure it is the actual car from the movie not something that is sort of casual eyed you know it looks close enough because you're going to get bond people involved and bond people are notoriously anal about these kind of things so you know just make sure that it's all correct so that was a bit bit of a letdown when i got into it but then again, on the other side, I have to say I do love the fact that it exists at all. And the fact that they went out of the way to get the Bond license, to get the 007 edition slapped on it, to dive through 50 years of Bond automotive history and cherry pick some cars and make something out of this as a sort of a fan service to James Bond and, and to what it means to, to action films and to car chase films is something that is worthy of applause in my, uh, my opinion. Especially if you got a team that looks at stuff like a 74 AMC Hornet, which is, even within AMC fans, isn't the most coveted car in the world, so let alone within Bond fans. So that's something that I uh, I really like them for. And also the fact that there is some truly unique stuff in there, like an Aston Martin DB10. This is the first and probably the last time it will ever feature in a game or in a driving game because it's so unique and it was made for the film. The same thing goes for the Jaguar CX-75. You know, there were things specifically made or designed this way for the film. So that's uh, you know, a commendable effort for the, the fact that they went with it and they decided to put it out there and, and, and go for this when they, you know, there's so many cars out there and so many things you can do and so many things to reference. So that's something that I really enjoy. And like I said, even though they weren't all correct, there's nothing more pleasing to a, at that time, early 20-year-old car guy and James Bond aficionado than 
sitting at night waiting for the midnight release for the game to actually be able to load out and then play along with some friends and drive through a city center, narrow streets at night in an Aston Martin being chased by a Jaguar while playing the Bond theme through your living room. That's just something that you can't describe uh, like how much I've been waiting for something like that to be a reality and not just be something I made myself. So I really applaud them for that because in the end, a game, whether it's Bond or not, should be fun and it should excite you. And, and that is what, what this does has done and still does because I still go back to it uh, from time to time even even though it's almost three years old now so it's in general I think it's a, a very solid effort though not perfect it's still a very worthy addition to the whole Bond franchise and it's yeah definitely something I can recommend to people who like racing games and who like to act like them Roger Moore or George Lazenby every once in a while Thanks again to Martin from the Double O Files, a fine James Bond podcast, which I can highly recommend. And you know what, loyal listeners? I honestly thought this was going to be the very last game covered in this podcast documentary. But as luck would have it, in the oh, about year, year and a half it took to put this together, one more James Bond digital download packet became available for another very popular game. So even though this disc technically says it ends in 2020, well, we're going to cheat a little bit and move to 2021. In 2021, a new James Bond downloadable pack became available for the very popular Rocket League video game. It is believed its original intent was to help drum up interest in the upcoming No Time to Die film, and marketing to a game that caters to a lot of younger players is never a really bad idea to get kids interested in, ooh, what's this whole James Bond thing about? So here with a little more about the DLC packet that just came out very recently as of the time of this recording. I believe it was just maybe a few months ago. But to set us straight on it, here is appropriately, our last guest for this entire documentary series. It is our old friend, Louise, from Eva Gay. There is a related DLC for Rocket League, for James Bond. Have you oh, seen that? This is news to me. Go on. It's not physical any longer. It's free to play. It's like a Fortnite. They changed the, the business model. And they released like three weeks ago for a special DLC with the Aston Martin and you get the skin of the car but basically there is not much Bond content apart from the car and originally in the previous season they had this kind of 007 banner and I find this very interesting because Rocket League is aimed towards younger audiences the W7 logo is sensor it hasn't had the gun part it's just W7 in the style of the traditional logo but without the gun i never seen that before but they have this bond theme dlc that actually didn't last too long yes too much uh, on sale i am not sure if you can still buy it i bought it of course <laughs> and it only has like a tune at the beginning of every match like the riff the traditional bass rift, <laughs> and get the car, the Aston Martin, nothing more. Uh, well, there is a badge, like the DB5. But something that comes to my attention is that in video games, like what happened with the Forza Horizon uh, 4, 
they are relying too much on the DB5 and not actually bond. <laughs> it's just the association with the car. What has been keeping the franchise alive in video games? The car. <laughs> because <laughs> we, we haven't seen Bond in a game for a long time. Yeah, actually, there is a spot on for Rocket League when they put the Aston Martin driving on the streets of Matera in Italy for the No Time to Die opening sequence. And that's it. So obviously it's a tie-in for the movie, but they don't mention the movie. It's just 007 without a gun. <laughs> and that's it. And that is it indeed, Louise, my friend. And when I say that's it, I mean that is it. For the entire journey that we have now taken through every single James Bond video game. It started all the way back in 1982 with a text-based game for the ZX Spectrum. And this volume is going to finish with a little cheat in 2021 with the DLC for Rocket League. What a journey it has been. Along the way, we've learned that not one, not two, but three James Bond actors have made their final James Bond appearance in video games. We've also learned that there's probably a lot more James Bond video games out there than we first thought. But more importantly, we've learned there's a huge community of friends and fans out there who love these things, play these things, cherish these things. And that made it all worthwhile. This has been my project that I started when things got a little locked down in 2020. And here I am, 75% of the way through 2021, and I finally finished my journey. For this fourth and final volume, although I might do addendum volumes in the future if more games pop up, but for this fourth and final version of the original project scope, of course I need to thank all the people who appeared on here to help make it complete. It starts with Joe Slepsky, the voice of the Gamefly commercials, who did all of our intros, which was wonderful. This episode featured Mike Reyes, Becca from Do You Expect Us to Talk podcast, Carrie Edwards, Louise from Ibagué, Colombia, Martin from the Double O Files, and of course, that awesome, awesome original theme music that Joe November did for us is going to be how we leave you. Joe did such a wonderful job making an original tune and giving it a video game flavor. You've heard it on all the former episodes of this series. We're going to listen to it once again. So thank you to all those people I just named. Thank you to all the people who were involved in the previous three episodes. This journey has been incredible. And I thank you for taking it with me. As always, I encourage you to stay tuned to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast to listen to all the wild and wacky things that we have coming up for you in the James Bond universe. Be on the lookout for Van and Alan, Delvin, Jason, Pat, and myself as we continue to try to bring you more Bond content. But from the world of 007 and the video games, this is Jared Albrecht, the Art Sale Artist, signing off.
Good luck, 007. Thank you, sir.